Welcome back to Following Noodonus from my podcast. This week is episode 103, and we are discussing chapters 4 through 8 of A Rhythm of War. Elliot, how are you? Very good, very good. Still haven't quite got used to you saying Rhythm of War at the beginning of the, the episode here. That's that's pretty fun. It is fun. Paul? I'm doing great. As we know, Elliot, Rhythm of War and Words of Radiance are entirely interchangeable you could just say either because i've get, gotten a mix up for years already i'm gonna continue doing that i'm so excited to be reading words of radiance with you guys right now i've waited so long um it's great no i am i am really excited to talk about um our chapters today in all seriousness at some future podcast there will be a segment on what our best predictions of what Stormlight 5 will be titled because if if we're filling the palindrome there's all sorts of cool theories about what K-O-W-T means so well, we'll do that it's later kind of like, it's kind of like an awkward set of letters actually it's hard to fit like a good sounding title into that I'm quite interested to see what Brandon's going to come up with uh, this is a kind of a deviation, but he has said that he's not married to it. If it sounds too awkward, he's just going to ditch it and do a normal title. But a lot of people really want to, you know, you want him to finish it out, but you also want it to sound good. So, All right, two words to summarize this episode, um, chapters four through eight. Uh, Elliot. I've got darkness drained. Ooh, darkness drained. Paul? I'm really glad you went with two... What is it? Which one is it for consonants? Is it alliteration, where you have repeating consonant things? Yes. I'm really glad you did that, because I did the same thing. I have patience and pernicious. Oh, boy. Darkness drained, patience and pernicious. Mm-hmm. Let's use these four words and talk about Rhythm of War. Paul, uh, who's on our mug? Ooh, our mug this week is... So we've ha we have a new surgeon who actually has been with us a little longer... Uh, started as a spearman and has moved up the ranks to surgeon. Uh, and we have dun, 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 Nick. And the cup this week has a lovely little patch in it that says Captain. So we have Captain Nick. Um, I'm. I have. I'm starting to run out of cups. So I hope you like being the captain now. Um, thank you for your support, Nick. <laughs> and. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Nick. As you, a Nick. former spearman, now made surgeon, you're following the inverse path of Kaladin. So next, I don't know what's next for you, but thank you. All right. Elliot, you want to talk to me about your two words for these chapters? I picked darkness drained. I was kind of kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for these ones. I went for for drained because we see Kaladin get you know drained of his stormlight when he's fighting Leshwi with the uh the spear that she's got that can do that and then also he has to deal with a rather interesting Fabriel which cripples him pretty pretty hard. That was a, that was an interesting bit there. And then I put darkness in there. I, that's kind of a generic one. I should have been more creative, but we we just get to see some some interesting instances of of darkness here. Shalon is having to you know kind of fight in the dark with a, a a sack over her head for for half of this. It feels like, and then the scene with Moash at the end. I'll, I'll save it for when we get there. Dark, really dark, like deceptively really, so. Really dark. Like on the on the surface, if if you read it fast, it's like, oh yeah, evil Moash. But if you read it slow, 
Oh, there is skin crawly. We'll we'll talk about it. We will talk about it. I do want to talk about Shalon first because I I might go a while on that Moash segment, but we'll we'll pause that. Paul, your two words. Yes, going back into the Moash segment. Oh no. Um, <laughs> um, my two words are patience and pernicious, which both pertain to our uh, <laughs> Trevor's. Trevor's about to exit the room. You're firing uh, <laughs> at all cylinders tonight. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry. Uh, first off is patience. And I chose patience as my word, mostly for the Mara segment because it was so devious and dark and eerie, and it is such a rivalry. Moish and Kaladin, it just is like the perfect storm of rivalry of them coming from like the same like a shared past together and just being on opposite ends entirely. And so, naturally everything I know about stories, I don't think they're going to fight right now. And so I'm already coaching myself on patience for the Sanderlanch or maybe next book. I don't know. But I'm assuming we're not going to actually see a resolution there for a while. And, man, I swear, if Moash kills Kaladin, I will I will be so mad. I will be so sad. And it, I would give full props to Brandon Sanderson for making a very, very, very good villain. But I would be so sad. Um, anyways... On that topic, I feel like Moesh would not hesitate at all to kill Kaladin, and that is why he is pernicious. Uh, pernicious, the definition, I guess. Yes, please. For, yeah, is uh, causing insidious harm or ruin. Ruinous, Ooh. injurious, hurtful. Other definitions just have deadly and fatal, or evil and wicked. Very... Uh, kind of simple definition but very powerful and i've tried to find the most evil word for evil i could synon like synonym for evil i could find and i thought pernicious went well with patience and it was also really devious so that's why i chose it that is for moash our big bad evil guy who is not very nice so there we go there we have it. Uh, we also have four other chapters we're talking about. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a connection to them from either of my words. Um, <laughs> but I do have two words for chapter eight. So there we have it. Sound, sounds good. I appreciated that. Uh, I, I learned something today with Pernicious. So we will we will get back to that. I do have a soapbox to get on for, for Moash, as I'm sure you guys we're expecting, but we, we will talk about that in a second. Shalon. We talked about a little bit last week about how we were a little bit peeved with, with Shalon and she's getting a little annoying. Did you catch how she refers to herself? The three? The three. That's her name. Yeah. Her name, the way she refers to herself, she calls herself the three. She is so far down this path of this is fine, this is normal, of I refer to myself in the third person as the three. She's perpetually living in like a character select screen that <laughs> she just can't actually get out of. And she's like, eh, I think I'll go with this one. No, we'll go with this one. And just as always. I I had a different... Uh metaphor for it I, i've been lately playing through the new lego star wars game where you can just kind of drop in and drop out as whatever character you want shallan's basically doing that she like comes up to a yeah. puzzle oh this is a veil puzzle whoop veil <laughs> solve that puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> oh to accept this quest you need to be radiant whoop radiant okay move on <laughs> that's pretty great she has successfully infiltrated the sons of honor or what is left of them and she comes face to face. We're, we're just going to go full Shalon and then we'll come back to, to Kaladin. So she comes face to face with ELA. ELA Sadius. And we saw her a few times in Oathbringer. She kind of takes up the reins from, from Toral Sadius, who dies at the end of Worth of Radiance. 
spoilers if you're reading this backwards and <laughs> that was the worst joke you've ever made <laughs> <laughs> and uh sorry she yeah, if merlin is out there watching this i don't know if anyone gets that reference but yeah she uh she's the leader of the sons of honor at the moment and it seems fairly final that the sons of honor is kind of disbanded at this point there's some followers here like at the end of these chapters because the big the big three or i guess the big two um, the leaders of the Sons of Honor were Gavilar and Amaran. Both are dead at this point. And ELA seems to be in that that camp as well. And by the end of this chap these chapters, she's also dead. So we we get this reveal that Shalon is trying to hunt ELA down and trying to capture her. They're not trying to kill her. And they're trying to put her on trial for slander against Dalinar's throne. And it doesn't go so well for them. They do find her. They do capture her. And then she dies. What did you guys get out of this, this section? Definitely some hints. Definitely some stuff that I think is going to be important later. I'm sure some obvious things to the rereader. I'm sure in these chapters here, the the spy close to Dalinar, that one has me concerned. Yep. The Sons of Honor have, and I don't remember if Eli confirms this or not, but they, they hint at, you know, oh, we have someone much closer to Dalinar. We already know about that. Like, uh-oh, who, who could that be? They make it sound like it's someone, you know, in his inner circle, in his his inner trusted group. So that has me a little scared. Yeah, it does sound like a Bridge Four-esque type of circle of personal bodyguard type thing. Any predictions on how she dies? They say she dies from Blackbane, which is... which they assume is suicide. They they assume she's had a Blackbane pill in her mouth. She gets captured and she she dies, but Shalon isn't convinced. I'm not convinced either. I'm I'm with kind of where it seems like Shalon's head is at, where she seems to guess, oh, the ghost bloods must have sent two of us, you know, to make sure the job got done. And so I decided not to kill her. Therefore, whoever else was sent, whoever else is here, you know, one of the servants running around or one of the soldiers was able to, you know, prick her with a, a, a poison knife or something like that that was able to take her out, something like that. That doesn't make sense. However. However. I had no further theories beyond that until I read the outline <laughs> and the note that you put in there. That, and I okay. don't want to... I don't want to steal your thunder if you're going to go somewhere with it, but oh dear, my brain about exploded. It's not, it, it, it's a poorly written outline. I'll just say that, that I'm not, I'm, the outline says Shalon wonders if she herself killed ELA. And then it says this has crazy implications. And I'm not trying to tell you that she did kill ELA or whatever. I'm just trying to tell you that she's questioning her own reality through Vale, Radiant, and Shalon. Sh Shalon is the is the one in control there, and then turns and asks Vale and Radiant, "Did you kill her?" Like, that's not a normal thing to do. Like, she's supposed to know what's happening with her own body at all times, and if she's turning and asking, "Hey, did you kill Ela?" Like the other, that's that's just shows you how far she is down this thing of. Shalon actually doesn't know what all, all the actions, or she, she's not sure if she knows all the actions that Vale and Radiant are doing. Okay, so I want to step further with that. I'm I'm following you. I did not think of that at the moment, but yes, Shalon almost is in this point where she can't maybe even fully trust herself. But the what if question is, what if there's more than three? 
Ooh. What if Shalon did kill Ela, but doesn't know that she killed Ela because there's another identity in her that she's not aware of? And at first thought, it's like, oh, that's crazy. No, that can't happen. But then as soon as I think about it for a split second, I'm like, oh, wait a second. That could absolutely totally happen. That is like, that, that has Shalon written all over it. That she has some other section of her identity, her personality, that is maybe even connected to this other event in her history, in her past that we've just been hinted at, that is another crucial part of her that she's not willing to admit it exists yet. She has embraced Vale. She has embraced Radiant. What if there's another part of her that she's denying, but it's still in there, and that person just killed ELA as Shalon? You okay over yeah. there, Paul? I don't like this bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> just just hope this this hypothetical fourth personality doesn't come with an equally dissettling <laughs> bedtime rhyme that Shalon's comes with. Honestly, I'll take that. I'll take the 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 horror movie of Woods of Radiance flashback chapters because at least it made sense. <laughs> 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 at least I could wrap my mind around it. This is like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of interested now, but a little upset. I don't know, disappointed. Ain't- I don't know. Insert emotion here is how I feel about um, the fact that I think our standing theory is that Shalon has a fourth personality that she doesn't know about, but she is that person and has yep. done those things yep. and has potentially killed Ela with Blackbane. Without knowing it. Uh, and how See? long has this personality been around? Right. What else has this little sneaky guy done? What it what is I feel like all of our all of our three characters of Shalom have kind of their little shtick, you know. Um Vale is like the rogue, like street smart. Brightness Radiant is like the big, strong knight paladin. Shalon is irrelevant at this point, apparently. <laughs> uh, Ouch. Ow. <laughs> I mean, she says it to herself, so she's, pretty she's much. The, she's the light weaver. Give her, give her that. She's the, she's the knight's radiant. She's a scholar. She's yeah, a scholar. that's true. She's an artist. Artist, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're right. Um, but what's our other one? Is it just, I don't know. Well, what if the other one is not on the good guys team? What if the other one is like, it's you fused. know, <laughs> I, I mean, we've had crazier things happen. I feel like it, it seems like a far-fetched theory, but I, I now I, I'm definitely chalking this up to this is plausible now, of maybe there's another version out here. Now I'm just thinking of red eyed evil link. In, in Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. where Shadow, yes, Shadow, yeah, Sh- Shadow Link. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's going to have to fight herself. Like, that's her, like, big, like, okay. Her fifth ideal. <laughs> okay. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So we have the big show off at the end of the book. Kaladin and Moash, Shalon and Shalon. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Except for her, it's like a free for all. Like, it's like, she's going to have, like, a. Literally a Super Smash Bros. map of like eight people in there, and they're just all gonna have to fight and see who comes out on top. Oh my gosh! So, so all of that developed in my brain in like the two minutes of like when we started recording, and as I scrolled down a little further in our in our outline. So, you're, you're Trevor, you, you you broke me a little bit there. I'm very glad you made those connections because I had not. I I read that and I was like, this has crazy implications, and I was like. Okay, great. I'll wait until Elliot talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But I... T- I'm upset that this is from, like, what one question she kind of asks herself. She's like, did I do that? Anyways. um, <laughs> Like, oh eh. my goodness. Maybe. Moving on. <sighs> well, my night is ruined. What's next? We haven't even gotten to Moash. Yeah. We're not even close. We're not even close. Just to 
just to wrap up Shalon's uh, anything else for Shalon, she finds or Ela confides in her. She Ela figures she's about to die and says, Hey, I've got this secret notebook in the back room. Don't let uh Aelin's guards get it. And so she goes and finds uh, a notebook, but we haven't really opened it yet, so that's where we leave off. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything else that I wrote down. All right. Back to the fourth bridge, Kaladin, Dalinar, and Hearthstone. Were you guys expecting a full-blown battle sequence in the first opening chapters of Rhythm of War? No, but I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. I think we've talked about like grand visions in our head of the different orders of knights radiant, you know, working together and accomplishing these incredible feats and like what a battle would look like if you have, you know, armies of, of knights radiant versus armies of fused. This isn't quite maybe like the full version of that, but we're getting there, right? We've got a whole army of Windrunners versus a whole army of heavenly ones. They keep getting referred to as the they even had like ones, a, yes. they had like a special name as well in like the, um, the singer tongue, but I didn't write it down. The and then kind of at the same time, we've got like our edge dancers that are like running around healing people on the ground. So we're getting a little bit of it where we start to see like the different powers kind of maybe working together a little bit. Also, the scale of things was pretty cool. Kaladin mentions at one point here that he's got 300 wind runners. That's that's quite a ways up from you know 15, 20, something like that. We left him with last time. Uh doesn't he? Yeah, he says he's got 50 knights, 50 knights with their own spren, and then like all totaled about 300 squires. Um, but he has plenty of knights radiants who are willing to swear the third, but there are no honor spren available. So that, well, we'll revisit that later. Uh, but did you guys catch that? And did you notice that, that as a problem? That seems like a weird problem to have that you're lacking spread. Very. Especially since we, when we visited Shadesmar, we kind of got the impression that there's like a whole city full of honor spread. Right. So why have only 50 decided to help? I, I, there's a few logical explanations. I think maybe, yeah, they're very intentionally not coming to help. They, they don't trust the humans and they, they don't want to create more bonds that that would be a good reason. But yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't think that was going to be the bottleneck. Yeah, I, I do remember reading this now that you mention it. And it I stopped for a second, I remember with this, like with the number, because I was like initially when reading this, I was a little honestly a little sad. I felt like it was taking away from how cool our main characters were. Yeah. To just like now they're just one of them, you know, like one of many. Um but I remembered, you know, with uh oh goodness. What was it called? The day the world went under, or whatever. The when the Knights Radiant threw away all their stuff, and we see the flashback. The recreants. Yes, the rec- day of recreants or whatever, and that like there were just hundreds and hundreds of Knights Radiant with shard blades. And at, at that time in our reading, we were like, "What? There's more than eight shard blades in the world? That's crazy!" And all this stuff. Um, but I guess seeing that, it makes way more sense that like. With the fuse coming back, everything coming back, like more and more and more and more knights raiding are going to come up. So this makes total sense. But for a second, I was taken aback. I was like, "Wait, that's so many! Like that's that's a ton." And I, I was kind of sad it was like going to make our heroes less cool, I guess. But um, but it's pretty neat. Well, just a little bit more on that. What ideal is Kaladin on? Third, three. four. Nope. Well, third. He said third. Yes. So he's approaching four. Right. Mm-hmm. What ideal is Tefnon? Three. Three. Same. Sigzel. Three. We we got that in Dawn Shard. Lopin said that Sigzel was on three. Oh, I forgot that. What ideal is Lopin on? Three. 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 Yes. Okay. It happens in Dawn Shard. So, in order to get your own shard blade. You have to swear, swear ideal three, and then you get your your squires. So we have fifty 
Knights Radiant who have sworn the third ideal. Well, Swift uh, 50 Windrunners that have sworn the third ideal. No fours yet. Are we holding back and waiting for Kaladin to say four before we're allowed to say four? I think so. At least him or Teft or someone. Right. Are there? Do, do you guys think that there are Knights Radiant who have been unnamed that are that know four and are waiting for Kaladin to say four as of like a respect thing? Or do you I think mean, I would... it'll come to Kaladin first? If there is some kind of system that it's like the leader of the Knights Radiant, whether elected or natural or whatever, is kind of taking the reins or leading, like that would make sense in my brain. That like when Kaladin naturally progresses to that point of his fourth ideal, then others will follow. Right. But as far as like other people being like ready or knowing or whatever, but like waiting, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, I guess. Um, okay yeah it seems like a possibility we know one of the scenes i was kind of frustrated with in oathbringer was when kaladin tried to say the fourth idea or needed to say it and refused to to the point where it seemed to imply that he knows what it is but he couldn't bring himself to say it and so if we're a year past that it does seem Maybe surprising to me that no one else has gotten to that point. If if Kaladin was able to get to there a year later and no one has gotten there yet. So are other people, Teft maybe, holding back because of Kaladin? Possibly. It's it might make sense. Let's talk about the Heavenly Ones. Lushwe. Were you guys expecting this spar honor duel thing that happens in the air to be a part of this? That Leshwi values the lives of Radiance and refuses to let her her heavenly ones double up on on duels and everything is an honor duel and one v one. We respect the the art of the the battle, even though we're in the middle of a skirmish here. It was a little surprising to me actually. It it doesn't it does not seem out of character from what we've seen before. It does seem like these versions of Fuse are rather different than some of the others. So for them to show this kind of honor that the other fused are not isn't too surprising. But I guess I was expecting more of an inverse relationship of these are the Windrunner versions of the Fused. Therefore, they're going to have like opposites that they are going to, you know, be all the things that Windrunners are not. Right. Just kind of like we uh, were kind of guessing that our, you know, the unmade shadows mm-hmm. are kind of like almost the, the inverse or the opposite. They show like corrupted powers or different, you know, versions of the powers that maybe our Radiance or our Heralds might have. But this seems to be like a like a one for one, where our, our windrunners they they fight very honorably. They're all about protecting people. Seems like the heavenly ones are maybe similar. They're they seem to be operating under maybe a similar mindset, perhaps. From a story standpoint, from like a visual, like if this was on the screen, I think this would be super cool. From like reading. And just how our storyline is going, and I don't know what to call it other than, like, story integrity, maybe? Like, how believable or, like, well-developed our story is? I'm not a fan of this. Okay. Just because it seems so impractical that it's, like, both of these sides are fighting for the world, right? This is a large-scale thing, and stuff and to just like have this like we're going to honorably fight one versus one each and every one of us it seems like kind of a cop-out thing or whatever in my mind like i i wasn't a fan because i feel like that's just way too convenient for our good guys it's fairly extreme as well the the heavenly ones outnumber 
the Windrunners by a little bit. And the, the Windrunners that are here. And the the fuse fly up. Everybody picks their, their, their 1v1. And then there's like a handful, is what it says, of fused who just sit there. And they wait. They don't attack the, the fourth bridge. They don't attack the the civilians. They're they're here to fight the Windrunners. They're not here to, you know, destroy the humans, as we've been led to believe that some of the fused are here to wipe the face, like wipe the humans off the face of Roshar. No, these fused are here to honorably contest the Windrunners. That's why they're here. And they may not even have showed up if the Windrunners hadn't been here. So, like, that that's the implication you seem to get. And Kaladin also notes that most of his Windrunners win, like are, are winning their duels, even though the the fused here have lived for however long, that most of his new Windrunners are winning. So it really just begs the question, are the fused, are the Heavenly Ones actually trying here? You know, like they're kind of just, they almost seem to be training the Windrunners and, and fighting them and losing and coming back with the next Everstorm and do it again. I think it's a valid question because even Kaladin points out the the wind runner, wind runners have some advantages with their their shard blades and their lashings their their abilities, but the fused can't die, so they can just throw themselves into battle and sacrifice themselves. You know, you, you can take risky moves like I'm going to stab you, even though you're going to stab me. I take you out, you're gone. I come back in a week. You right. know, you, you'd think they could do those kinds of things to wipe out the Windrunners pretty fast, which it doesn't seem like they are doing that. Yeah. Couple couple nuggets here and there. Cord, uh, who we've read about in Dawn Shard, she has a recorded kill on Leshwi with a bow. She shot her out of the air. That's what Kaladin says. Uh, Rock's family is tasked with defending Dalinar on the battlefield. They're not of overt fighters, but they are tasked with defending Dalinar. Dalinar opens a perpendicularity to to supercharge his Windrunners as they fly in, which I just think the the visual in your head there is super cool. Like on top of the the fourth bridge, just like you know, all sorts of cool visuals here. I actually was caught a bit off guard by that. I didn't think that was going to become like a casual thing that he can just do. You know, I thought that was going to be a like a one-off coming together alignment of the world sort of thing that he did when he launched the perpendicularity at the Battle of, of Thalen Fields. No, apparently he can just summon it whenever he wants. Oh, we need to recharge? Okay, hold on a second. Let me bring the spiritual realm here so I can recharge all of our of our powers. Like... It talks about, I think it's a little more involved than that, that at least, you know, he can't do it all the time. But talk about Game Changer. Like, that is powerful. Yeah. Incredibly powerful. That they can just recharge their whole army with Stormlight, recharge all their spheres in just an instant with apparently unlimited power. Like, wow. It just, and Calvin mentions it, that Dalinar's got a big target on his head, that if the Heavenly Ones were actually trying to win this fight, they might, you know, thin the Windrunner numbers and then do a focus attack on Dalinar, but it doesn't seem that they'd be doing that. This is this is pretty cool. Well, my biggest thought whenever I heard about how many Windrunners and Squires we have now is that's a lot of gemstones. That's a lot of Stormlight. Right to bring around and I was honestly wondering how that's going to be like sustainable with that many people and just growing and everything like that's a lot of marbles you're carrying around with you you know yeah and uh but this like that that kind of makes up for it if you have a di direct portal to the spiritual realm filling you with stormlight and everything and that that works pretty well so uh, that was it cool. also and I thought was... the imagery was cool and also like a practical way for Delinar to be involved in the fights because his powers aren't necessarily combative I guess right. like our Windrunner, Skybreakers everyone else you know 
I also had to take a step back and, and think about the, the big picture of this as well. We've, we took a break in between major books here to go visit a few other worlds. I'm, I'm remembering, I think, how much investiture there just is on Roshar. Like right. we're talking about how much our, our people are now just walking around with so much energy for lack of a better word, that just everyone has all these pouches of, it's getting slung around everywhere. It's it's not like some of the other worlds we've been on where where the st- investiture is maybe a little more rare or it's still there, it's still noticeable. But like on Roshar, it's just like everywhere in huge quantities. It makes me a little bit scared, actually, for the future, you know, mutually assured destruction sort of thing. Like if this keeps escalating, if, if we just get more and more and more power, like are we going to end up just exploding the planet sort of thing? If, if we start wielding too much of this, do you remember the implications of why the Knights Radiant dropped their, or one of the reasons why they dropped their, their spread? Well, that was part of the whole revelation of, you know, humans are not the original inhabitants of Roshar, right? They came from another world. Right. And the, the story is that they destroyed that world with right. surge binding, right? Yep. That's that's exactly where I see this headed if we're not a little careful. We're we're starting to wield huge amounts of power here. Are we on that same track again? Are humans about to do the same thing again? Yeah. Going back to your parallel between the Heavenly Ones and the Windrunners and how you thought they'd be inverse, but they seem to be the same the same wave as opposed to the inverse. Uh, our else caller equivalent. He deliberately attacks civilians to get Kaladin's attention and Leshwe lets him go. Leshwe says, That's yeah, like that's not right. You can go you can go defend those civilians and he and he lets him go and their duel's done. Um but who is our else caller? Yasna. What's Yasna's philosophy? Or what was Yasna's philosophy at the beginning of Oathbringer? Find all the heralds and kill them so they can go back and fulfill their duty. Exactly. I don't care what I don't care if these people are innocent. I don't care the ramifications. If this is going to save the most lives, if this is going to be most effective, let's do this. So our else caller equivalent of the fuse says, I want to fight that windrunner guy what's the most efficient way to do that oh go attack this lady over here and he'll he'll come defend her like that's that's our else caller equivalent of a fused is just start hitting civilians i noticed too that this this fused guy when he travels he can't bring anything with him when he when he teleports he's naked yes he he's clothed in his own hair mm-hmm. which was Convenient. Thank you, mister, for growing your hair out. <laughs> the, but he, it, that, that's noted as important. I was trying to remember back to the like one and only time we've seen Yasna do her transportation thing. I, am I imagining it that, that Wit was waiting there with clothes for her or did she arrive fully closed? I need to go back and read it. I think I might just be wanting that, that sounds, to be the case to draw a That parallel. sounds familiar. I, but I I can't I can't decidedly make it. My my first guess would be no, because I think she has to go to the perpendicularity to come back through. She uses her stormlight to get to Shadesmar and can't come back, which is why she always warns Shalon, "Don't go to, like don't go to Shadesmar without stormlight. That's really dangerous." And so she gets attacked on the boat. She uses her stormlight to get to Shadesmar. Doesn't bring any with her. And then has to walk to the perpendicularity, which is where Hoyd knew she was going to come through. So I don't, gotcha. and that's and that's different. So I think she was fully clothed coming back through the perpendicularity. That that makes sense, and I think I'm just wanting there to be a parallel there. So yeah, we'll have to look for more of those as we start to see our kind of our our equivalents on each side of the the teams here. All right, so our do, do they name 
the the else color in the in these chapters. I re- I really have to censor myself because I'm. Uh, I don't remember this is, any. This thing. is fuzzy I don't for me. Believe so. I okay. So I know he like I actually got scared he was going to kill Kaladin. For a while, he was really yeah. it. It was to the point where I got scared, and then because he was just repeatedly stabbing him in the spine, yeah, like at the spinal cord, kind of like at his neck, and it was just like basically immobilizing him, and then Stormlight would refill him and kind of restore him, and then do it again until ideally he runs out of Stormlight, which I was thinking is kind of killing a Surge Binder, or at least a good one, is kind of exhaustive. As long as they have access to Stormlight, I'm realizing how strong our tools are that stop Surge Binding or Stormlight or whatever. Right. But Because other than that, it sounds like you just have to exhaust them of all their Stormlight before you can actually kill them. Um, it's convenient for Kaladin, because he should be dead. Um, but yeah, I gotta it, say... It was kind of crazy. I- it was crazy, and I was impressed with Kaladin, actually. I was reminded how much of a survivor he is. He, he learns fast. Like, he, he fought with this guy the first time and, and got pretty owned. Like, he, he almost died with this guy. He, he let his guard down. But when he faces him again, he's ready, and he actually thinks pretty quickly on his feet, and he he comes up with a pretty ingenious way to, to take him down, even when he's stripped of his powers by the Fabriel that the guy turns on. So k- kudos to Kaladin for, for thinking fast and coming up with a solution. I, I was impressed. He does get a shock of, oh, I, I rely on my powers way too much. They just drained me and I almost died. But I, I still have the, the Spearman reactions as opposed to the Radiant reactions. So, Which I think... I think if that um, Fuse guy had been a little bit more cautious, he wouldn't have died there, but he just he teleports behind him and uh, lets Kaladin kill him, like, right, but Kaladin's expecting it, and he underestimates Kaladin. He assumes that he'd be taken aback by his Stormlight draining, and that's what he relies on. But it's Kaladin, and he's a a warrior before he's a surge binder. So, but that's not the end boss of this episode. We 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 kill the. Oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for this. We we kill uh, we we kill our else caller dude, and then Lift is there and says, "Oh, there was another guy here, and he went that way." And Kaladin's like, "Okay." And so it goes that way. He goes into the cellar of the um, of Rashon's Manor, and he says, "Oh yeah, I used to play down here with Laurel. Is that her name? Laurel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember this place being a lot bigger." And he goes down into the cellar, and he finds like three light-eyed guys, maybe two light-eyed guys. I don't remember. And one of them is already dead to a shard blade, and then he sees Rashon. And he is like, what's going on? And then Moash just like knifes Roshon right in front of him. Which if you pause, right, well, we'll get to the the second the, the second part of the scene here in a second. Moash comes in with his shard blade, the his Yezrian shard blade, his Windrunner shard blade, kills the guy instantly, and he has every opportunity to just kill Roshon and go right like he 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 has the excuse of oh i'm here to kill roshon and get my that's not why he's here that he's that that's why he's getting kaladin's attention with this because he kills roshon with a knife not his shard blade he kills roshon with a knife and he just makes it so he knows how to press all of kaladin's buttons which we'll get here in a second but he he won't he slits roshon's throat like a butchered animal and wants to have kaladin watch it and there are so many things about this scene, which I'll push it over to you guys before we get to the second part. But he kills Rashon with a knife. I just wanted to highlight that real quick and how visceral that would be for for Kaladin and his, you know, 
but go ahead. Yeah, Kaladin says that, like, it, it points out that Kaladin's gut reaction is to go and try and help save Rashon, like, like, heal him, save him, like, surgeon instincts. Right. Uh, from his, you know, relationship and learning from his father, Liren, the surgeon. But practically, he's like, his throat was just slit. You're not, you can't. He's got like he's he's toast. He you can't just go switch him back up and he'll be okay. Like he he is dead and stuff. And so, but he like definitely was pushing that button of like you want to save him and you can't. Which leads into what he tells him in a second. But and and then at the end or right before they have their conversation, he surrenders, which he knows that Kaladin will refuse to fight him if he surrenders and he can't kill him because he's a windrunner. Like if this was Zeth, Zeth would just be like, cool. And you know, done. But he knows this is Kaladin and he knows that he will refuse to fight him if Moash doesn't fight back. So he says, he kills Roshon and says, Oh, I surrender. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I didn't actually remember or know that about the surrender thing. I knew he was being a conniving little guy, but. Yeah, this. This set of actions and, and words, especially from from Moash here. That this is a step up from anything he's done before, actually. Yeah, maybe not in like, you know, killing Elokar was a big deal. However, there was at least a shred of, of rationality to that. He had a reason. Was it a good reason? No, it wasn't. But he at least had logic that you could follow. Here, there's none of that. None. Well, like you said, Trevor, he, he's killing Rashon, who he has no reason to kill, in a extra brutal way just to get under Kaladin's skin. There, there is no defending anything that he does here in this scene. And then the words he says to Kaladin are, th- th- this is where I tied in my word, darkness. Oh, oh my. Like what he says to Kaladin are like the very, it's like the very voice of depression right yeah. there. You are worthless. You can't do anything. Look at all of the ways that you failed. Just give up your pain. Like all of those things are exactly what I'm sure Kaladin has to fight with already in his own head. And now to have to you know, face it out of the mouth of someone else. Oh man. Wow. And, and he tells him he should have jumped mm-hmm. at the honor chasm. He tells him you can't, you can't save everyone you're trying to save. You should have jumped. And, oh, it's, he, he knows enough about Kaladin. Kaladin, and Kaladin entrusted all of this inf- information to him back when they were, they were soldiers, back when they were defending Dalinar. And he's using all of this information against Kaladin because he knows that he can't, he, he knows that he can't beat Kaladin in a fight. And so he's going the other direction of, I'm going to make Kaladin beat Kaladin in a fight. I'm going to use his own brain against him and sabotage him every way I know I can and brutally kill someone in front of him and then tell him you couldn't have done anything anyway. The only way out is to either surrender your pain or end the pain. That's the only two ways out. And I... Go ahead, Paul, because I'm going to bridge into something a little different. Okay. I was going to say um, it was very clever in a pernicious way. Um, th- what Moesh did um, with the like with the chasm and you should have jumped and stuff. And it has made me rethink my view of our characters a little bit. Because I think ever from the beginning, 
of this story. All of our characters like were so so hesitant, like painfully to me, so hesitant to ever open up or like talk about themselves or things that they struggle with or things like that. And I'm like, why? Like, I mean, I understand. I guess not oversharing or whatever, but but like, what what's the worst that could happen? And here is the worst that could happen. I guess. Yeah. Um, is your your ally turns on you, tries to kill the one you're supposed to protect. You kind of save him. You do save him. But then he comes back and kills him. And then he does all this stuff. And it's just quite a mess. And uses all that information against you. Um, and it's made me proud of Kaladin and where he is. But yeah. Moash is probably our He's definitely in my book right now. He's way more hateable than like Amaram. So I think he's taken the number one spot on most villainous villain. So this this reminds me. Well, I'll, I won't go too far with this tangent, but this reminds me of a comment we had at the end of Words of or the Way of Kings, um, one of our episodes when one of you was saying, "Oh." Sadis is the worst. I don't know how you can, I don't know like how you can live with like this bad of a bad guy. And one of our comments, I don't remember who it was from, was saying that's really interesting because from what I've read, I don't know if I'd rank him in my top five uh, of worst villains in the Stormlight Archive. So I just wanted to bring that back up. Of Sadius was our original big bad guy. He was very bad for his time, for sure. Um, yeah, the Moesh Sadius was more of a like Selfish. his approach. Yeah, his approach to everything and how he dealt with people in general was horrible. Moesh is more personal attack. It is right. below the belt hits. It's all this stuff. Like it's yeah, it's very pointed and and stuff. And it, it yeah, it's way more personalized and um. That that's exactly what I was gonna start talking about. This this is betrayal on a whole nother level. Like it's it's not just turning your back on someone and walking away. It's taking what that person shared with you. Like they opened up and they, you know, shared their inner struggles with you to then take that and use it against them in such a pernicious yeah. way is just it's just evil. Like it's not just it's not laziness. It's not you know not caring. It's just like that's a that's evil right there. Actively using what someone has trusted you with to hurt them. Not okay. That and I. That is go, go ahead. It's Moash's entire plan here. He's not here for Rashon. He's here to hurt Kaladin, and do as much damage to Kaladin as he can. And I can't help but contrast this with a scene I've referenced. I keep going back to this, actually. In Oathbringer, between Hoyd and Shallan. I believe it's in Kolinar. Yep. Where Hoyd comes to Shallan at a moment of vulnerability and weakness. And he says to her the exact opposite of what Moash is saying here. Hoyd says to Shallan, you are worth it. You make the world a better place by being who you are. And Moash is here trying to do the opposite, the very opposite to Kaladin. You are worthless. The world would be better off if you had thrown yourself in the honor chasm. Like, wow, two complete ends of the spectrum in those two scenes. Coming coming out of Oathbringer, there was a fairly... Some people were ironic about it, but some people were not. A discussion of Moash did nothing wrong and screw Moash, you know, like Moash has done all these terrible things, but, you know, Mo there were people who were arguing Moash's death or killing of Elokar was justified. Like, there were people who would ge genuinely argue that after this chapter came out, that Reddit got rather, rather silent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's this this one is just so uh, ah. Yeah. there's so many layers to it. I th this this is the worst one, but I think where 
I was never on the side of Moash as justified, even from the get-go of him wanting, even plotting to, to kill Elokar. Right. Um, I can understand, because there is a motive behind it. It is an intentional, like, him and his family have wronged me and my family so deeply, I am so hurt, I am, like, I need, I can't live with him, like, whatever. Right. Um, but how far he takes that with him, like, how long he holds on to that is insane. And then what really hurt me a lot is was actually him killing Yezrian. I think yeah. it, maybe not more than Elokar, but like it hurt me a lot because that one was just like he is just following the will of Odium, like kind of mindlessly. Right. And like without a second thought, just just going. Um, and also I was really excited to, uh, I don't, I should, I feel like I shouldn't have as soft of a spot for all of our heralds as I do, but I think they're the coolest and I just want to know everything about them and I don't. And so I was really sad to see him die to Moash. Like what a lame way to go. You finally find Yezrian and you're like, yes, Mm -hmm. we found one. And then he dies. Yes, literally. (sighs) I, I find myself, too, also actually thinking back to when Adolin killed Sadius. I was pretty hard on Adolin at that time. I, I still am. I am I also, don't, as well. I don't think Adolin should have done that. I still believe that. I think despite the evil things that, that Sadius did, despite the, the selfish and cruel things that Sadius did, I, I still think as a human being he was owed... At least a little bit of honor. A it still was not okay to to knife him in a back alley, you know, fight the man face to face. I think Moash has reached a level of like evil, where where you start to get into a category where it's like this person needs to be removed. This this person has reached a level of destruction and evil where they need to not exist anymore. And I think if something like that were to happen where someone were to go and do what it took to take down Moash, I'd be a lot less hard on that person than I was for, for Adolin. I, that, that's the level that I think Moash has just, uh, has just entered into. Yeah. I, I think Sadius's it, the way I'm thinking of it is like Sadius's eyes were like closed to people. Like he, he had no regard for people. He didn't care about other people's lives. He just didn't care. To to him, other people were just a tool or something to use. To Moash, it is like a disdain or hatred or like... It's just another level of like, he is using lives to torment others. He's not just using someone for a selfish purpose. He is intentionally trying to crush spirits and and like torment someone and i yep. i agree it's like uh if he gets mugged in a back alley no one's gonna be like well you know is that the time and place for it like <laughs> right so someone needs to send uh shalon four after him actually though shalon four is kind of maybe our best fighter right now he's literally, literally the most undercover agent so far our best spy for sure. Yeah. So undercover, the undercover agent doesn't even know it exists. Literally right? like so many levels of depth of being in, like just somehow give this secret fourth agent night blood and the world will end. <laughs> it will be over. Cause you know, that fourth agent is drawing night blood as soon as, as soon as they're asked, like instantly. I, I just have a feeling. I know this stuff. Trust me. Trust where they pay me the big bucks here on this podcast to <laughs> yep uh, light song wielding nightblood that's a scary thought acting and then Renarin bursts in Renarin jumps in and shows Moash a vision of what he could have been as a radiant loved and supported and everything that he could have been if he hadn't betrayed Kaladin. And what does Moash do? Oh, this stuck out to me. He, this is when he like 
he kind of like cries out to Odium and just tells him to take his pain. Yes. Right? We see the exact opposite of what Dalinar does, where Dalinar says, you can't have my pain. I'm taking ownership for the things I've done, and I want to move past them. Yep. Moash says, none of this. Get me out of here. I don't want to confront anything that I feel inside. Exactly. He prays to Odium and says, take my pain, take my pain, take my pain. I don't want to be here. Get me out. It like, And that's his first reaction is, don't I don't want to confront any of this. Bye. I, I think. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, I think I. I don't think I grasped this while I was reading. But I, I kind of okay. Last episode we talked about Kalek, and we. I don't think we like confirmed it for sure, but we're saying maybe he's the her- he's potentially the herald of the Truth Watchers. Or that was your best guess. Who and. Collect Will Shakers. Well, oh, oh, that's right, that's right. You mentioned Truth Watcher like offhandedly did, yeah. before checking, and I was like, oh, that's kind of lame. Like that's <laughs> that's not as cool. Like the Truth Watchers are cool, but like not in like a a battle sense, you know? Right. And then this happens, and I think this is the coolest thing ever. I think this is so incredible. Um, and how like Renarin can show him like what he could have been. That is so impactful. Like, that's crazy. And, like, oh, my gosh. And it makes me think that maybe this is the tip of the iceberg, perhaps, of how Renarin is kind of this, like, missing puzzle piece in our story. Um, or somehow in the, like, unraveling of Odium's plan. Uh, maybe... Mm, maybe... <laughs> maybe we have some, like, crazy redemption arc if... If... Uh, <laughs> if if uh, Renarin is able to continue doing this and ends up turning uh, Moash into some form of, like, double agent, you know? I'm not going to wholeheartedly go there, but, like, something of that magnitude, of of being a way to, like, show someone, yeah, like an alternate reality or what could have been and stuff and, and impacting people in that way. But I thought that was super cool. In summary, I think that was cool. Even after reading it twice, which I always do for our for our chapters in these books, I still don't know that I fully understand what happened at the end of this at the end of this chapter. Renarin comes in, Moash is screaming at Odium, the warmth comes back that we've seen referenced before. I'm not quite sure what's Odium, what's Renarin. It, it was all very confusing, but a very cool scene. Anything else? Not on my end. I am much more excited to read on than I was last week. Not not dissing on last week, but we just ended on quite a quite a big chapter you kind of tacked this one on like initially you said we're just gonna read the chapter seven i did then you added this and i was like man i'm glad you added this one like i i forgot i was looking at the outline and i forgot that this was where this is where this was i thought it was in chapter seven but i i added chapter eight to to include this one so yes we are through to chapter nine i don't know our split off the top of my head right now but we will be uh doing that next week i do want to just add this that when this chapter was released for early view brandon sanderson said yeah i treated part one of rhythm of war which we still have plenty of book by the way i i treated part one of rhythm of war as the sander lanch to the year that you didn't get a book for so there's there's a lot of action at the beginning of this book that you've already seen here, and that's supposed to be like your your mini Sanderlanch of like when when did you guys assume that our Moash Kaladin confrontation was like our next one was going to happen? You know, not for to, you know maybe part three, part part five maybe of this book, but no, he decides to make it in chapter eight. So it's definitely been a fast start, that's for sure. Anything else? I'm with Paul. I'm excited to read on. Sounds good. We'll read next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Laters. Goodbye. Bye.